Okay, Planet Oz. Thank Hello. you for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. No, no problem, man. I uh, checked out some of your videos. I don't know how I found you. Just it's probably the almighty YouTube algorithm sent me uh, your way. And um, I like your whole vibe. <clears throat> I like the uh, the topics you uh, you talk about in your videos are just so far out. I love it. Like they're just so they're like, I don't even know where else I would find other content like yours. You're like, it's just like, if I want to go for something weird and, uh, but not weird in a bad way, I, I go to your channel. Like the, um, awesome. I watched uh, the, the one about the, the 40 minute long one about the reptilian overlords. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I got to get into this and go down this rabbit hole, which I'd like to get into that a little bit later in this podcast. Sure. But before we get into that, if you want to just uh, give a little bit about yourself and how you came to be planet Oz and then, we can get the ball rolling. Sure thing. Well, I, um, for many years, have been a uh, filmmaker by trade, career, and um, and so, uh, but by by night on my free time, I would explore esoteric ideas and ETs and all kinds of you know all manner of paranormal, high strangeness, all of that stuff just really fascinating about um, the big secrets and the big mysteries, seeking, I guess. And after I finished, I made a, a feature-length documentary um, recently, uh, and when it was done, I just kind of decided at that point that I didn't want the two things to be separate anymore, and I wanted to unify my filmmaking and my uh, odd interests, I guess you could say, the subject matter that I'm really most interested in. I wanted to unify those things. And so um, that produced a little bit of a lull for me because all of my contacts and momentum and everything had been in other content areas, not this. And so in doing this, it's been a gear change, it's been a reset. And uh, while there's kind of a bit of a lull there, I thought it was the perfect opportunity to launch something I wanted to do forever and just like having a kind of YouTube uh, or video channel platform to just, you know, just talk about this stuff and participate in what appears to be an ongoing conversation that I found fascinating as a consumer. People are talking about this stuff and... Um, why not get involved and see if there are people out there who find value in it? Yeah, there's definitely people that will find value. And I like your approach to the videos with, with the, like the simple visual aspect that you put is um, that's huge because if you can take these abstract, extremely profound ideas and put it in just a simple visual, because, you know, seeing is believing that's how humans learn. And if you can take those ideas and put it in like, you know, like a chalkboard drawing or whatever you do, it just makes it a lot easier to digest. And that's something that I thought was pretty attractive about some of the stuff that you, um, that you put out. And uh, what was your documentary? Uh, the most, I made two. The most recent one is called They Say It Can't Be Done. And it's a film about, it's basically looking at globe-changing innovations that we don't have because of regulation. And so mm -hmm. we were we met with these four innovators and heard all about their technologies. And then there was also a lot of interviews with regulators and people from the FDA and stuff like that. Cause people just have this question, are we going too slow? 
because of regulation? Do we not have things that would be helping us greatly? Or is, you know, regulation getting it right? And whatever is it most, most supportive of, you know, thriving, the, mm. the greatest amount of thriving for, uh, for us all. So, yeah, that's what that was about. Are we going too slow? Uh, well, in my opinion, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's all, uh, this is all a, it's like a, it's, it's a risk reward calculus and it's not really a one size fits all thing. You would get a different answer from every single person mm-hmm. that you would ask about, um, whether it's too slow. I mean, we certainly had people, it's a balanced film and we had people in there who were saying there's not enough regulation and that regulation is going, uh, you know, is there is moving things too fast or whatever. So that perspective is out there. Um, and, uh, it's really, as far as the film's concerned for the viewer to decide, my personal opinion is that I have higher risk tolerance. And I believe that these innovators are good people and some of the slowness comes from a distrust of innovation or that things will be exploited or stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. We have to we have to take chances. And uh, I think these issues are so big. It's the whole globe. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, time. Yeah, that seems pretty interesting. I'd be <clears throat> I'd be willing to check that out. Oh, where okay. is that available? Or where is it going to be available? Um, it's it, it's still doing its. Uh, festival and screening tour, which is, um, has extended as a result of the virus slowing everything down and, mm. you know, changing everything. So, um, yeah, by this point, we probably otherwise would have known where its home is, but um, at, at the moment, it doesn't have distribution or it's, uh, you know, I hope it's on one of the big streaming platforms at some point, but I don't know yet. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. So I want to shift it more into the esoteric. Go to we'll go to Planet Oz. You know, I don't know if we're on Planet Oz yet. We're gonna Clear we're gonna go landing. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what got you interested in this? Is was there something that spurred you into this esoteric realm or did you just kinda like this is how you are as a person? Like, you know, have you always been into this the the far out stuff? Um I've been in, I've been into it as long as I can remember. It's funny that you're asking that question because I, it wasn't too long ago. I was doing a, I was filling out some sort of online questionnaire about something. And one of the questions was when you were a kid and someone was telling a Bigfoot story or a UFO story, would you roll your eyes or would you lean in? (laughs) And, uh, and it was funny to see that question and answer it because I've been leaning in since, you know, since I can remember, you know, it was like always, always a curiosity that there's some mystery there and that there's some truth to it. Yeah. I think if you completely shut off ideas like Bigfoot, which I don't even really think, I mean, I don't know if Bigfoot's a thing or not. I haven't seen any evidence that has made me convinced, but even if you just don't, if you don't even entertain it and you just shut your mind off to it completely, you're just, it's just a, a very narrow way to think, like a very shallow way to see the world because the, the truth is stranger than fiction. And that doesn't mean all of the weird stuff is real. That just means there are some stuff that is weird that is, that is real. And if you shut yourself off to all of that and you roll your eyes at the big four, the aliens or the ghosts or whatever it is, then you're just, 
it's just a very narrow way to think. It's it's just cool. It's a it's a it's almost like a power to be able to um, entertain those ideas without believing them. Because some people they just hold ideas almost like part of their identity, and if they you know that's them, and you know I'm they're they're conservative or liberal or whatever whatever it comes to be, they just it's like part of their identity and their ego. But like yeah. me personally, I see the world. I'm just like whatever. I'm just here existing. I'll entertain whatever idea I think is true or at least fun to think about or interesting to think about. Yeah, I um, one of the first films I put up on my channel was about stepping from one reality into another one. And the the reason I felt that that one was important to kind of lead with is because it's it was sort of like I used the ET topic in the film, but you could plug anything in there that's of a paranormal or non-physical fascination. But the idea was, um, as soon as the first drop of evidence comes across your radar that seems like it might mean there's some possible truth to whatever this thing is, um, it, it instantaneously, to a certain extent, creates another reality for you because you have, uh, you have something that no longer fits in the reality as you know it and yet seems to have a little bit of truth to it. So once that happens, this new reality is born, but there's not much supporting it. And then over time, as you learn more and more and more about this topic, and more and more and more of it rings true, you'll get to a point where so much evidence has accumulated for this new reality that you literally find yourself on balance. There is <laughs> yeah. as much case to be made for the new one as there is for the one you're standing in. Yeah. And so when that happens, it kind of presents uh, an opportunity. It's a bridge of sorts where you can you can even decide just just as if you're trying on uh, some some clothing that you're considering buying. You can basically try on the new reality, and you can just decide <laughs> instead of staying in the reality I'm in and considering uh, all of that evidence to just represent something unknown. Why don't I step into that reality, and then because I'm going to keep an open mind, I'm going to look backward at where I came from and keep my open mind that maybe the path I came from was correct, you know, mm. and then you can just, and then you just try it out. And so um, basically in a, in a somewhat autobiographical sense, that was about uh, my experience with the, the UFO and ET topic and basically did exactly that. I had accumulated so much information about it that rang true that I just tried it on. And um, when I tried on the other perspective, for you know a week or whatever, it just seemed that so much of the reality you know that I observe and know matched that truth better. And so there you go. You try on a new reality, and then after that, I'm walking around in uh, a reality maybe perhaps somewhat different than other people, skeptics or debunkers walking down the street. But you know, to each his own. For me, uh, it is a real it is a real truth. It's a truth of our experience and what is going on in this world it's a um it's a big deal to me the truth of extraterrestrials being involved in human affairs yeah can you dive more into that like what how uh is so are these aliens from another planet another galaxy system another dimension are they interdimensional are they in our minds like what do you actually believe about these extraterrestrials uh, well, I would emphasize that it's my beliefs for sure. Um, of course. Uh, but yeah, I, um, 
I think all of this is all of this is going on. I think that um, I, I think that there are reasons uh, in our present state we're veiled from the fullness of it. But um, in in a nutshell, I I think uh, I think what we have here, and when we look around and we see what's going on with geopolitics and all that stuff, it's my feeling that that as above is so below, and we as a species are a reflection of the cosmos at large. We're a cross section, we're a slice. Life is everywhere. It's um, and it and it would be understandable in the sense that uh, once you really look into how broad this all is and how far it goes and how much there is to see about it, it does paint a picture where we're not really the, we think that we're the inventors, but we're not really the inventors of a lot of these things that we think we've invented, particularly about like how our society is ordered and things like that. If you think about like having, uh, you know, having governing bodies and having committees and uh, federations and all of that stuff, like that stuff that we invented, this is, that, that's, I'm dubious about that. This is where I mean that we are a microcosm, we're a reflection, we didn't in invent this, we just are what is everywhere. So if you are, if you were read in and you were able to go explore this stuff and meet these people and see what's going on, you would find that, um, I believe, from, from what I've consumed and my discernment, I think that um, what you would find is that we're kept in the dark, but already at least a certain percentage, a certain part of us uh, is engaged with, um, with exactly this, exopolitics, they would call it. So engaged in, in this, it's not, in the movies, you know, a lot of times it's it's uh, either E.T. or it's angry aliens coming down and, and blowing everything up. The idea that we're just kind of integrated and we just mesh into the whole weave and we're already a part of it, but it's just a matter of readiness for, for everyone. Uh, I don't know. To me, that just makes the most sense. It rings much more true than us being all alone. And it rings more true than hostiles showing up to destroy us and all of those other things. So do you think these beings are, are there multiple races of beings you're saying, or is this one race that's been our overlords? Uh, many, 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 many races. Mm. Yeah, so it would be, um, uh, and a lot of my perspective comes from the law of one, but I believe if you were to look at the cosmos, if we could, if we could see it in full resolution and we could see all the life that was there, I feel like it would just, it would, it would look like the, it would look like a, an ocean reef or, you know, so it's just like, there's just so much life. It's, um, it's just a contrivance of our current state to mm. not know that. Mm. Yeah. I, I, do you think these beings, so, you know, how like the Pentagon came out and said, we have uh, technology from outside this earth about a few months ago. Do you think things like that are deliberate on the part of these beings? And they're like, all right, we'll place it here and we'll see if they find it. And if they do, we'll see what happens if they find our technology. Or is this like, like an accidental thing? Because if, they, if they're these beings that are able to cross the dimensional barriers and, you know, have all of these, this crazy technology that we can't even think of, I doubt that they would let their ship crash 
on earth like they would probably be a little bit more prepared than that so to me it seems like it's some kind of deliberate action uh yeah in my um my personal view i think it's all of the above because again i think that we're um we're we're really a cross section and we're just in the middle of it and things are coming and going and they're more advanced of us and less advanced of us I and see. therefore yeah. i would think that the way that we would come to acquire this stuff uh probably checks all boxes it would be archaeological digs bottom of the ocean trades and we're in a trading relationship with the these people or um possibly uh my understanding, uh, it, you know, it could be it could be crashes, it could be magnetic field. I agree with you. It seems strange that the technology would um, would get weirded out here, and uh, something could happen. But it is technology. More likely, though, I think that in the case of crashes, what we're observing is um, is technology that's meant for us, but it's it's uh, it's a way of kind of throwing it on our front lawn, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you, what you said with how, you know, I I guess I have to remove myself from the idea of the aliens and just being just, it's just the aliens. Like there's just one race of aliens and that's it. When you, when you put it the way of we're just this, we're just this process in this huge macrocosm of the universe and we're just, you know, in, in aliens and what other beings, whatever you want to call them, come and go and we're just here existing as these these lower primates on earth. And that makes sense how, you know, there could be just like some kind of accident. Cause I don't know, you would think, I don't know. I, I go back and forth of thinking that these things are here and they don't want to be seen like they, cause if, if, if these things are like I said before, if they're able to travel interdimensionally, obviously they would have technology for to not let us be seen by the five senses. Like they would have to, like, they would be a lot smarter yeah. than that. And then mm -hmm. the other part of me is like, well, I don't think maybe not. Like maybe they are just like faulty beings, just like us. It's hard for me to decide, but I mean, either way it's, it's, it's a cool idea to entertain. Yeah. Well, I think, um, Here's a key thing about this, because of all of these weird and esoteric topics I talk about, the ET one is probably the one I've been in, into the longest and consumed the most about. And I've also gone to um, like a lot of conventions and, and uh, hung out with people who uh, go to these conventions and work there. And a really interesting trend has gone. Are they alien uh, conventions like extraterrestrial conventions yeah yeah exactly there must UFOs be some characters that, at that place that's awesome um <laughs> there are yeah i mean it's, and it's a it's a very eclectic and it's a surprising mix i think uh how mm -hmm. um of course there's there's people who are are a bit outrageous but there are a lot <laughs> of people who just look so normal you would never imagine they would be there but anyway uh but i think that's the truth of it it's like normal people are finding us fascinating all the time mm -hmm. so uh yeah but um but what what has been happening uh at these conventions and within the whole field and all of the people who are fascinated about it so it's kind of divided into like what's what is called kind of the nuts and bolts um approach and then the uh i'm not sure what you would call the i call it post disclosure but there's another mindset and anyway the other mindset integrates ideas of 
consciousness and uh, you know, ideas that come from channeling, a lot of stuff that, for example, someone who has an encounter might talk about what the being said to them. This is stuff that in the past has largely been kind of ignored or filed under, you know, don't know what to do with. And really the fascination was what do the marks look like on the ground? Were the trees cut? Is there this, what to leave any evidence behind? So it's basically this nuts and bolts and then this, I guess, just post-disclosure um, mindsets going on. But you're seeing more and more the blend where back in the day it was nuts and bolts was most of what it was. So I think that's really cool that, uh, that this is being integrated together, that consciousness is playing a role, is playing a factor. And um, as it relates to consciousness, spirituality, um, reincarnation, how all of this thing, how all these things meld together, I feel like, uh, like we were talking about earlier about the open-mindedness, it's, it's to me, I sort of think that without an open-mindedness to the full spectrum of what the topic has to say, it's really hard to have a full picture fit together that makes sense mm-hmm. for why we experience what we experience and what we see. But with that stuff included, with the consciousness aspect and with including the messages and all of that, there is a picture of it all that that makes sense. But you know, if you if you start mixing reincarnation together with the ET topic uh, or something like that, um, it tends to it tends to throw people. In screenwriting, we would call that double mumbo jumbo. They would say, like, if you're writing a script, they would say you can have aliens, or you can have werewolves. But you can't have aliens and werewolves because mm-hmm. then your double mumbo jumbo and your script is done. Oh, I see. So, um, yeah, so I think that that kind of, uh, and I understand it because I, I used to feel the same. It took me a lot of long time to get into the, you know, this more post-disclosure look at it. And, uh, and I had my skepticism and I understand where it comes from. So I, I think it's important to, you know, keep us all honest. So the nuts and bolts are like, we'll say like the old fashioned gray aliens in the, in the saucer and the, and they only look at evidence and, and, you know, mark, like you said, markings on trees or dismembered cows or crop circles or whatever it is like they, and then you have the other side, which is um, almost like a way of communicating with them is through our consciousness and through like psychic mediums and channeling these races through our minds and then they they don't really mix because they're like two different ideas of extraterrestrials is that what you're saying well i think ultimately they do mix i was just just saying yeah yeah i just did people think that you can't mix them right but you think you can yeah they they look at it like oil and water and Mm -hmm. and honestly you know a lot of people who are in the um the nuts and bolts camp are spiritually homeless um, and that's something I can relate to, too. At the time that I would consider myself most nutsy and boltsy, I was spiritually homeless. And so once anything that even reflected new aginess or, uh, or, or, or anything, once it was consciousness or anything that was too woo-woo for me, it was, it was rejected. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my opinion now is that I wasn't ever going to get to an answer or see a picture that made sense to me until I drop that resistance and and it's funny like when you read for example channeled texts and people can make their own determination whether this comes from true sources or not but 
but it's interesting how the uh, the ETs that are communicating with us they um, they they kind of struggle a little bit with our concepts of science, metaphysics, and spirituality because from their perspective there's just a reality and all of this stuff works according to the reality. So what we really have here and what we call science, metaphysics, and spirituality those are largely just human-made categories for like known known but with some questions and like totally unknown like that's how we divide it but like from the perspective of the known it's just it's it's weird it's confounding mm. so we're just in that space right now mm. so these um yeah like in the power of uh what was it the power um what's the word raw the law of one yeah the law of one i was thinking the power of now or something like that. i think that's a book <laughs> Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. yeah, the the law of one. How um, I've I've read some of those things, and it seems way too in depth to be made up. And it's cool too because they actually have the audio recordings of the channeling, and the uh, the speaker she speaks so slow, and it just seems like she wouldn't. It just it doesn't seem like I don't, I mean I don't know her, but it doesn't seem like she would say the the stuff that Ra was saying it just it seems like it's just way too in depth and just like there's no way that you can come up with that off the top of your head if it's fake then good job on them for creating a beautiful piece of uh existential literature because it's absolutely like the stuff you can read in there is uh, even if it's all fake is extremely interesting and entertaining well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, to believe to believe that it's fake, and while I'm not saying that's impossible, I just, it, it means that somebody wrote a very long, very dense, brilliant work of yeah. science fiction, and then rather than releasing it and making a bunch of money, they decided to do actual channeling sessions, tediously record every line of the dialogue very slowly, yeah. and then give the whole thing away for free. For the rest of you know it's like <laughs> yeah it doesn't, it make doesn't sense. yeah it uh yeah it it doesn't um it doesn't do you so i believe this is how um i mean i've never channeled anything i've never really seen it other than in videos i don't really watch a lot of channeling but i don't completely disregard the idea because you know the truth is stranger than fiction like we talked about but i believe if correct me if i'm wrong when it comes to channeling and, you know, channeling any kind of energy, it could be like the vibe of a room or, um, you know, something on earth that we can actually see. Everything is energy and everything is vibration. We just can't really, if you're stuck in this low vibration, this, this low state of just like fear, anxiety, depression, anger, whatever that is, just keeping you at this low, in a low vibration, like literally like a, you're vibrating very slow you're not going to be able to pick up the frequencies of everything that's up here, like the higher vibes. That's why they call it getting high because you're literally heightening your vibration when you, when you feel high and happy. And I think when it comes to, I don't know what the people with, um, uh, what's, what's that called again? I, I keep thinking the power of now. The law of one. The law of one. I don't know why I can't think. All right, so I don't know if the, with the people with the law of one um, I don't know what they did in preparation, but I can imagine that they probably did some like intense meditations or something to get them on like a higher vibe. 
so that they could channel whatever this message is coming in. Cause I believe to a certain extent is that that's what happens. Like you can, you know, especially when it comes to psychedelics or people doing like yoga and, and meditation, they're all in the same vein of getting us out of this very dense state of mind and opening ourselves up to just a, essentially a new way to see the world and a new way to feel. And there's some people, I think psychics are just more susceptible to certain frequencies and certain energies. And if these people that are more susceptible, like just born that way, practice, have these practices of like yoga or meditation or whatever it is, and they hone in on their skills, then they could take in these energies from these extraterrestrial beings and leave us with messages from these beings. And I think that's like a simple, um, like a simple way to put it is that like our bodies and our minds are like these transmitters. It's an input output machine, essentially, and we take in energy and you know we we process it in our minds and then whatever however we we're resonating at that's what we put out so if you if you if you're you know taking care of yourself and you're vibrating healthily you're going to take in these energies and and transmit stuff that you normally wouldn't be able to transmit and in the case of the law of one they're able to transmit i guess um these very philosophical um, I don't know if you want to say like, just, I, it's just like tenets in a way. It's just like it's just ways of the, the universe that is explained by a being that's outside of, uh, outside of human sight or just are outside of earth. And it's just, I mean, for anyone listening, you just have to go read it. Like if you've never even heard of it, like some of these things you might just think at you know, firsthand that channeling is absolute insanity. Like it doesn't make any sense, but when you put it in the context of what we just explained before of, you know, somebody creating this extremely intricate science fiction script and putting it online for free and doing all these very tedious recordings, it kind of makes sense. Like there's something that's just like, cause I'm of the, I'm, I'm of the, uh, I used to be like a staunch, you know, like we talked about the nuts and bolts atheist, not believing anything and just kind of like just, just the material world and everything was logic and rationale. And then I started to explore myself and, you know, meditate a lot more and just explore my inner being in the mind and be more creative. And, you know, it's a whole journey that I got into, but I, I think I raised my vibration in a way or changed the way I think. And now, you know, I'm not completely subscribed to the idea of channeling. I still have more research to do, but I can see how it makes sense and how these things, they could happen. It could be real. It actually, it sounds so far fetched, but there could be people in this world that literally just have a better antenna to these things, essentially. And they're just able to take in communication from these extraterrestrials. And insane concept. And I kind of wish I was one of them, but I don't think I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I believe we all are if we um, hone the tools. But I think so. Um, yeah, who knows? This, you know, yeah. this might be lifetimes plural in the making. So, mm -hmm. it might, you know, it might. Uh, it might be something like that, but um, yeah, I agree with you absolutely as far as like the appearance of this universe being of a vibrational nature and um, yeah, and so um, yeah, in the, in the law of one also it's, um, this is discussed a lot and the nature of our reality and it's uh yeah, if anyone in your audience hasn't checked it out yet, it's done in a, 
a question and answer format between someone asking the channel the questions and getting the answer. So it really covers a wide variety of topics wherever the questioner wants to go. And it goes into an incredible diversity of things. And again, uh, I, I call upon my filmmaking background in a lot of cases when I'm assessing things. I, I know a lot about what lenses can do in post-production. So it's helpful when I'm looking at uh, footage of evidence of something. And um, I've worked with actors a lot. So it helps when someone's giving a testimony to kind of get a read on how earnest they're being. There's a lot of uses I've, I've applied filmmaking to it. But in a screenwriting sense, um, there's another one here in that uh, another Thing they drill into your head regards world building and if you're a screenwriter you're building a world and the more sci-fi you make it the further you reach the greater your risk of failure because your world has to be whole it has to feel completely coherent mm -hmm. it has to work the guy who's mopping the floor has to make sense and it has yeah. to make as much sense as everything else that's happening so you have mm -hmm. to so it's these it's these details that really get you when it comes to world building because it's very hard to think completely through how the details trickle down, and in the case of the law of one, you have what would be like, um, you know, Game of Thrones or Harry Potter level of world building in terms of the details that are in there. All of these things are a big risk of breaking the world that's been built by an inconsistency with something else in this really dense text. So it was, uh, I was like endlessly impressed with um, how coherent everything is and how coherent the answers to the most disparate topics were. And uh, yeah, that's, um, it's, it's a, it's a wild ride, but it's, I mean, people call it uh, postgraduate work for UFO nerds. <laughs> and uh you know i get it you read it's dense it's dense material yeah um, but uh i mean at the end of the day it's the the premise of it is that an advanced intelligence is telling us about our situation so that we can navigate it better so uh you know if it really was an extraterrestrial but the text has no meaning and no residence for you. Who cares? Why would you even, what would it even matter what the truth of it is? So I think like, you know, like you recommended earlier, people just really, you know, the only way is just to, to try and read some of it for yourself. And if it feels like it's resonating, uh, probably a lot of it will. And if mm -hmm. it doesn't really feel like it, that's probably not for you. Yeah. I've had a lot of um, late night rabbit holes on the law of one. And nice. a lot, honestly, a lot of it is just very, very, uh, it's not like an easy read. Like this, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like how you really have to pay attention and like, you know, you can't, some of the sections you have to read before you read the next section. Cause it doesn't make sense until you, you know, Ra explains one, one of the concepts in order for the other concept to make sense. And I don't know, man, it's almost like a, it's almost like a new age religious text in a way. Like, like I see that being in the future, being like the law of one is almost like a, like, you know, the Kabbalah or the Bible or the Quran or something like that. I know that's like very extremely far fetched, but it just like, you know, if this is all right. So hypothetically, right. If this is that and it, it come, we come to find out in the future, it is actually a channeling. It's one of the first and most well-documented channelings that we have recorded. So it's going to be 
you know, if aliens do exist, if, if it comes out and, you know, becomes like, you know, a general, it, the general population is like, yeah, of course aliens exist. Then the law of one is going to be regarded as something very special. And as I read the, the words too, and I'm just like, man, this is something very, very, very special to this. It's not like just some guy, just, just some random dude just made something up. Like there's something special in the words. And it, it almost makes me a believer. Like it, it makes me like, hmm, there's something going on here. There's, there has to be something going on there. But I want to ask you about um, on, the, on the topic of channeling the Vril Society, because I watched your video about that with the reptilians. And um, so essentially, uh, correct me if I get this wrong, the Vril Society started in the 30s or the 20s and 30s in Germany or sometime around there. Uh, I'm not sure how far they go back. They come onto the radar around the 30s. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So around when the Nazi party was starting to become popular. Mm. And they, so they were a group of women, right? Mm -hmm. That channeled information from who knows where and got this information that enabled the Nazi party to take power and to um create this crazy technology but then from there they they had some kind of feud right within like when when hitler was starting to come to power or something around then uh well um as the story goes in the ufo lore i don't know that uh, it wasn't really so much a, of a feud as it was um they had they had accelerated their technology, this back engineering, to the point where they had kind of become their own society. They were kind of like a, a nation independent of all others and how they viewed themselves. So at that point, the fate of Germany wasn't the important thing anymore. It was the fate of this little mm -hmm. new thing that they had created. So it started off as that was what Nazi Germany was going to be. It was based upon what the Vril were channeling and they were trying to create this ultimate race and being out of what they were channeling. It just so happened to the Nazis kind of took that idea and that premise, but they just, just disconnected from the Vril because the Vril feel, felt like they didn't need them anymore. Is that it? Um, I don't know the story as to when they ever disconnected from the Vril. As far as I know, they they continued to get information because I, uh, as the the story as I know it is at least um, documents that taught them how to make the uh, basically make an ET engine with terrestrial materials, and then they were able to make craft with it. And so, um, but then it continued on to then be information about where there were hidden bases and where they could move their operations to. So um, as far as I know, the contact continued and the relationship continued, though I've also heard that the Vril, um, the Vril believed that they were positive people, a positive group doing a positive thing and being patriots. So, uh, there might also, who knows, I don't know this, I'm just speculating that if at some point they felt that their connection, their information wasn't being used as they had hoped, or maybe they would have had a change of heart and that would have led to a split. I'm really not sure. So are they supposedly in Antarctica right now? 
yeah, are you talking about the breakaway civilization? Yeah, the Vril. Um, the oh, well, the, the, the Vril, um, the Vril was that little group who was getting the information, uh, the breakaway civilization. I mean, these are the people who used the Vril info, got all of this power with it. And then, um, yeah, so that, uh, yeah, again, um, so just to loop your viewers in a little bit in the, in the film, I was basically just uh, pointing out that many disparate things in the ET topic about like, um, thing, things like Nazis creating extraterrestrial flying saucers, um, breakaway civilizations and bases in Antarctica, and the takeover of the world by um, reptilian puppet string pullers. These things all connected in a coherent story. So um, that was the idea. I think sometimes before we can even evaluate whether a story is true or not, we have to understand the coherent version of it because until it's coherent, of course it's not going to be true. It's going to just make no sense, it's incoherent. So once you connect to the different pieces and how they work, at least according to the story, then you can look at the coherent version and go, oh, okay, I see how all these pieces fit together. So yeah, as that goes, these, uh, this breakaway civilization would have first gone to Antarctica, but since then, they would have, um, they've won, so to speak, behind the scenes, and then they've proceeded to move their base of operation to uh, everywhere, basically, behind the scenes, but everywhere. So essentially, those people, according to the story, the breakaway civilization are actually, they won, and they're still present in our lives today, and are actually running the world? Uh, yeah, that's that's where the full story goes. Yes, it basically, it basically says that um, that we we won World War II at first because we didn't know the fullness of what this breakaway civilization was and what they were capable of. But um, yeah, so uh, the story then follows that in post World War II, uh, once these breakaways had regrouped and then connected with us. It was, it was clear that um, we were outmatched and they wanted to remain a silent partner. So this is supposedly the arrangement that's more or less been worked out with uh, many other countries as well. So it isn't just like here in the States. This is, we're the only ones with overlords. <laughs> These are the reptilian overlords? Um, well, it's, it's the breakaway civilization. So the people that, um, these would be these, the, the breakaway civilization is, is, is people, but it's the people that were initially using the real information mm -hmm. that continued these contacts either with them or in their own way, who then bolstered their existence with a uh, craft that could leave the planet and then they could therefore be engaged. So um, the idea is that it's basically what, what we would call, I guess, negative entities or negative polarity. They basically connected with the negative polarity that's out there and have had, uh, and supposedly, according to the story, an ongoing relationship ever since that's been very fruitful for their uh, their power and their global 
domination goals, I guess you could say. So, okay. Then where do the reptilian overlords come in? That's the negative polarity that they're connecting with? Sorry, yes. So that is that is ultimately what, um, you know, we didn't know and they weren't talking about at the time, but has become evident later is who was on the other end of the signal. Who was talking to the Vril in the first place? Where were they getting these? Um, I'm not exactly sure at what point in the story they, the, you know, a face-to-face -face contact happened or these people um, know who, who they were dealing with. And I just want to say, I mentioned in the film too, because it's like, this gets people freaked out sometimes, this idea, but I think it's like, it's, it's just, it's worth mentioning. Um, that's another beautiful thing about the law of one. It's just kind of this idea that the, um, the, the law of one talks about the fact that the positive polarity has been tested with, um, with a, in, in realms of great positivity with very little negativity. And what they have found is that evolution is extremely slow. When you have that much connection with, uh, I guess, your, where you're headed, so to speak, or whatever, when you, when you feel a oneness of sorts, then you, you're just like, your evolution as entities is just, it's, it's very beautiful. It's luxurious, relaxing, and nice, but very, very slow. So um, this this aspect of negative polarity that we experience in our reality, it's not a bug, it's a feature. It's definitely by design that these, that, that's, what our, that's what the law of one says that this realm that we're living in, this third density, that's what it's about. It's specifically meant to churn, you know? It's, mm -hmm. like, it's like a washing machine. You'll want it to be rocking back and forth. And so, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it look if it wasn't if it wasn't reptilian overlords it would be some other kind of overlord but <laughs> no overlord is probably not an option for us mm -hmm. because uh I, I think it if hierarchically it works out to where um you know in the same way i know people don't, don't like to hear this from a human perspective i guess it sounds like a slight it's not meant to but in the same way that we uh, that, that we handle and manage our animals, that we handle and manage the second density, care for it, um, sometimes abuse it, sometimes people exploit it with negative intentions. So there's a percentage of negative impact, harm, and ill intent on the second density, our plants and our animals, but there's an incredible amount of, uh, of love for these things, nurturing for these things. We feel like parental figures of sorts. And so when you think about all of this, that's the natural order of things. And so we don't feel guilty necessarily that we're the more advanced consciousness than the animals or that this is the way it works. We, you know, we try to be, uh, we try to be mindful and otherwise um, it's, it's the way of things. There's a hierarchy and we are on a higher level of consciousness than they are. So to a certain extent, their lives are impacted, and that and that's just the way of things. But we need to see that perspective and reflect it back on ourselves. And even though we can't see, uh, and we don't have open contact with, we don't openly engage with, and we don't know what this higher density intelligence, what their agendas are, and what they're doing. Uh, the the bottom line is, 
it is the natural order of things that um, that we, you know, for example, if one came down to this planet, they could learn a lot about what humanity, what third density consciousness is doing on Earth. They could learn a lot about it from the animals and nature and the wildlife without ever encountering the human. They would know what our impact was. And so, and so it's my belief that we're essentially, we see the same thing play out uh, with humans. We see a, uh, the, to a certain extent, a reflection of a much bigger, I don't know if you would call it conflict, war, philosophical struggle, you know, at a level above us, it's kind of about separation versus unity. And so that kind of struggle playing out, what does that look like when that trickles down and manifests to where we are? That's, that's kind of the question. When you look around, if, if it seems like it makes sense the way it's sold, then, then it is what it is. But if, if instead it doesn't make sense, and then if you look at it through a lens of thinking, well, what if the real battle, what if the real discussion beyond this realm, beyond up above us and, and everywhere else, what if that was more about a mindset of separation or a mindset of unity? In other words, nothing about material, nothing about gold or resources or land or the things that we fight about and have wars about, but it's about consciousness and winning winning over consciousness as a resource. And are you on the side of unity? And do you pull more in? Or are you on the side of separation? And do you want to distance out further? Um, as it says in the law of one, uh, all is the creator and all is the plan and all is meant to be explored and known. So none is actually right or wrong. It's, uh, it's just... It, it's it's a big question to me. I wonder if you were non-physical, if you were fourth density or fifth density or something like that, and you were engaged in one of these conflicts. I, I really, it's a fascination for me. I wonder. It's like, is the bitterness there? Is the is the animosity there? Is it that kind of a charged thing, or is it more like uh, war games of sorts? You know, sparring the way that two puppies would without actually. Uh, intending to hurt. There's a really fascinating thing. I'm going from memory here, but there's a really fascinating aspect of a part of the law of one where the question had something to do with, it was another planet and there was all this like discarded stuff, like old machines and, and whatever. And uh, I don't remember how they wandered into it, but if I remember correctly, the questioner then was asking like, well, well, what is this stuff all for? How, or, or how did it get there? Who put it there? Was there a war? And, uh, and the answer was something to the effect of they were remnants of a thought war. Mm. And um, like so many things in the law of one, you'd want a hundred questions about everything that's, uh, that's a question in there. And so I would have loved a hundred questions about that. But, <laughs> um, you know, what is a thought war? But, you know, when I speculate on it, and I think, you know, when I look at it from more of what the law of one has to say, it's, uh, it's, it touches on... Um, exactly what I was just saying there. When when the real fight becomes one between consciousness, a consciousness versus consciousness, you know what what's at stake when you don't have all of the material? What do you what do you do? And so then it's like, I don't know. I was so fascinated by that question. Did they just imagine? Did they all just imagine the coolest war machines they could? Yeah. And it just this battle plays out with things they thought of. And who's the most creative imaginer? That's going to be the one who wins. It's a fascinating idea. I don't know. Yeah. 
that's a hard thing to conceptualize as a human being, like a, a war that's beyond the third density. And I'll explain the densities a little bit too. So the first density is of, is of like water, earth, air, and fire, right? It's just kind of like mm-hmm. things that have consciousness and they have movement, but they're not necessarily aware that, you know, they're not even, they don't have a central nervous system, they don't have a brain. It's just things that are in, in motion and change essentially, you know, like water, like in a river or something. Second density is, is, uh, is like animal intelligence where they're conscious, um, but they're not aware that they're conscious. They don't know that they're a being. They're just kind of like the water and the river essentially just going and doing their thing, but they make, they make um, decisions and they have certain baseline feelings, but they don't have the like I am sense that I guess we have and you know, know that they're, they're either you know, a dog or whatever kind of animal that they are. And third density can you explain that more so? Like, what does it mean to be a third density being? Is it just self-awareness? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The, the, like you described, the first density, earth, air, fire, and water, not, not, the first density doesn't do anything to survive. It just kind of just interacts. Mm-hmm. Your second density, when you are a, a cellular life even, or a plant or an animal or anything that seeks light, anything that seeks its own survival, preservation. However, um, while uh, the first density has no awareness, the second density has awareness, it just doesn't have self-awareness. So that's really where, that would be where we graduate into third density. You know, as as the, the story of the law of one goes, it would be one that we were at some point, second density consciousness ourselves, and realized that we were actually an individuation and once you have that self-realization, you're then going to begin incarnating in third density form in a third density vessel like a human body. So, uh, so that means you are a human being and you, you can say, I'm, I'm here, I'm alive, and you can make, you know, kind of free will kind of decisions. So what goes beyond that? Can we go into fourth density and... Like what is beyond being, okay, I'm a human, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm consciousness. And then what's after that? Is that even able to be conceptualized? Um, yeah, well, I can, uh, I can frame in my best words what, it's, what the law of one, how they describe it in there, because they were asked and they went into great detail about uh, what happens beyond. And um, uh, the law of one is incredibly important in the third density. And this is why uh, Ra, why Ra did these communications in the 80s that produced the Ra material or the law of one books. Um, but also the reason, as he tells in the story, that they were in ancient Egypt. And that was the Ra at that time, what they were, what they were teaching and sharing um, the, the law of one is specifically designed to explain to us that our third density is a realm where we're to make a choice. And we would, uh, we would regard this choice as, we would probably describe it as positive negative in terms of polarity. Uh, in the law of one, it says service to self, service to others. But the main point is becoming conscious that you're here to make a choice and then making that choice of which side until, until doing so, um, you will remain in the third density, you will continue to incarnate, and you will be, continue to face catalyst oh, challenges cool. and things like that until 
you consciously decide I am positive, negative, service to self, service to others. And once you know that truth, then that begins the, the journey into uh, the fourth density. But what is um, one thing that is that's common among fourth density, as I understand it, whether it's positive or negative, it's it's uh, it's an understanding that it's it's when the understanding or, or the belief that I am the ego body, that I I am this, this is me, I'm this human, I live here, I have a hundred hundred years maybe of life, temporary existence, that kind of rational view and identification, that's third density. Mm. Uh, fourth and fourth density, that is a realization that um, that this universe is an infinite consciousness. One, that's the law of one, one infinite consciousness. And from that one single grand infinite consciousness comes many, 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 many individuations all behind various veils of thickness that hides the truth of, of this ultimate infinite oneness from the entity for the purposes of learning and experience. So in the fourth density, we see that. So you would say uh, people walking around, looking at each other, you would see all as the creator. Everyone you encounter, everyone you see, every animal, everything, it's, it's all one. It's all one, uh, one creator. But uh, typically in terms of how they manifest, it's, it's typically the fourth density, the, the, the density of compassion and love is typically the one that would manifest if you saw someone going crazy in a fourth density mind while they were here it would it would look a lot like jesus very extroverted very help other people help everyone out there among the people and all that if you were to see the fifth density uh someone here taking that as to to an extreme it would look like the buddha where it's very um, inner focused, internalized and meditative and, and about balance and all of that stuff. And uh, while these go in sequence, we would, we would presume, based on the logic of the law of one, that, that, that first is fourth density. That's it's fourth, fifth, it goes in order. So first, first is fourth density, which means once we graduate from the third density, it's probably the nature of most or all of us to immediately become, uh, you know, a Jesus-like mentality of, I know, I, now I know my purpose. I got to go out there and I got to help, 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 help. Mm -hmm. And maybe you go too far, maybe you overdo it, maybe you burn out, maybe whatever. But at some point, uh, one starts to stop with the out and then turn more inward. And then the fifth density kind of Buddha mindset uh, go, goes on for whatever phase in your journey, however long that lasts. But we can presume neither extreme is really the ultimate um, ideal, or I guess the ultimate for continuing to progress, because as they describe it, Ross says there's sixth density, they say that the sixth density is the density where we learn to balance the fourth and the fifth. So, um, you know, so one could take from that that, uh, you know, being a full-blown Jesus or a full-blown Buddha might be part of everyone's journey, but where we ultimately land is probably going to be somewhere in between where these two things are balanced. That's the sixth density. And then after that, there is the, um, the seventh density, which I, I don't know too much about, except that it's largely like, as my understanding is, it's kind of like, preparation for what they call the octave so in law of one term the octave 
Yeah, in law of one terms, the, the densities, there are seven densities and then there's what's called the octave. And when they were asked, what is the octave? Um, they, they said, this is, a, this is a question they do not plumb. So even Ra in, in high sixth density going into seventh and then um, ready to take their trip through the octave, they didn't know what it was. It, it, you could speculate it's unification with everything, or um, you might be, you might emerge in the first density of a whole nother octave and, you know, mm. put, a, put a trillion years into each one. Who knows? It's just, it's an infinite journey. So <laughs> why not? That's really interesting, man. Um, I like how you said the, the six is the balance between the four and the five, because if we are here to create a better world, you need that that inward focus of the Buddha and the outward focus of Jesus. Like you need both aspects. If you're too much of one, you nothing. It's just not going to work. Like you're going to seem like too much of one is just like you know crazy hippie Jesus. You know, always love, love. You know, it's all about love. But then you can't do that because it's just. I feel like that would just it scares away third density people, and you have to be more of that 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 coolness like that like the buddha because everyone loves the buddha but if you if you just get stuck in that and stuck in that like that that state of just doing nothing essentially then nothing's going to change so i i like that how like you have to find that balance and it's it's like you know the whole um sixth density I, it, it probably goes a lot more in depth than i could ever explain but in in a real world in a real world perspective it, it's um so cool to look at it that way. Like you could realize that, yeah, it is all about love. Um, but don't go out on, on the streets preaching it. Like you could, I guess. I guess we all could do that. But just you have to find that balance between like, all right, it's all about love, but I'm gonna like keep that same that same that that coolness and that stillness to myself, and still in through the 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 realizations <clears throat> that I found in the the fourth density of you know this the the nature of unity and compassion. And through my, I guess, just stilling the mind and being able to control my thoughts of the fifth density and, you know, being in this contemplative state and inwardness, the sixth density is almost like, to me, it seems like <clears throat> using those, both of those lessons, which seem like kind of polar polarities in a way, and creating, like being the creator of this world. It's, it's almost like using the lessons from those realizations and those revelations And the sixth density is using that balance to be and act as the creator almost like a god in a way because that's what you're doing using those energies that you're cultivating for yourself in those densities and essentially you know that's what that's what we do as humans we create and that's my interpretation yeah. on it yeah um <clears throat> yeah i've heard a, a phrasing of it that i liked and kind of this this idea that uh what the infinite creator really creates at the end of the day is more infinite creators so basically um while while there might be a an honor sense in perhaps a lineage or a, a fatherhood of sorts or something like that if if one predates another that's uh that's something but other than that the idea would be that the difference is indistinguishable and that um, every, I mean, that, that, that's kind of the idea of the individuation is essentially that um, the infinite 
becomes the singularity and then journeys back to the infinite. So that's, mm -hmm. in theory, what we're all doing. We have all uh, began our journey by collapsing from the infinite to a singularity, and now we explore our way back to mm. becoming infinite again. And so, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's a puzzle to me when we get to the end, are we then melding back into this, um, this one creation or do we sort of end up having an experience much like being an infinite creator ourselves? Um, whatever. You mean the end, like when you die? Uh, no, I mean the end after the reincarnative journey, after all. Oh, the end, like the end. Trillions, <laughs> trillions of years. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it would probably, to me, it seems like it would just be like the cycle of just birth and, and death, like being reborn. Just like when we die as an ego in our body, I think when the universe dies, it's the, like we are the universe. So it's probably, we probably take the same uh, characteristics of that. And like it probably, you know, when the universe technically dies, whatever that means, I don't think you can have something without nothing like yin and yang, like the, like the, the whole basis of this entire universe, like you, you just can't like, because that's, that's our origin story is like God, um, you know, God, if you want to call it God is, he got kind of bored being by himself. So that's why he created the universe, you know, and it put and created us because like we are essentially the universe. We are God, we are consciousness experiencing itself. So, so it doesn't have to be so lonely all the time. You know, right. it's, it's yeah. the concept of Brahman and yoga. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we are all, we have Atman, like the truth in us. And we are Brahman, this, this collective consciousness experiencing itself, but essentially it's the same thing. And that same mm -hmm. thing is that singularity point that we're, I guess we're all going to in that, that one that 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 oneness that everybody talks about and i think you can't just have that oneness because if you just have that oneness and that singularity point then it's really not like there's nothing to, there's no polar opposite like i don't know this is just my ragic my rational and logical mind you know this is my human monkey mind obviously making sense <laughs> of this so you know probably doesn't mean anything but to me it seems like you can't just have something and you can't just have nothing there has to be either something or nothing so when the universe does end whatever that means and we have just nothing i think at that instant that just means it's going to birth into a whole new infinite consciousness eventually like you just can't have that i think i, I don't think it ever ends dude like we talked about like you know how we, like it all it never ends like even after the universe ending it never ends. I think yeah. <laughs> that's it's such a far off topic to even try and conceptualize. But yeah. I really, it might not be like after the you know, in this technical uh, universe that's after this one, it might not be you know, consciousness in human beings might not arise. Like the 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 experience of being human and in this body might be the most divine thing in the world. Um, but we are third density consci consciousness and in that next universe there might be another third density consciousness but it might not be human it could be because you know the universe is infinite but it might also be that this experience we're having in this human primate body um is just unique to this timeline in a way into this universe in, into this like recycling of energy and until until we find out what happens after this, um, 
this is this is the human experience you know i i i don't know i go back and forth thinking that the human experience is this almighty divine thing that is like you know there's there's other beings that wish they could be human and it's it's like um it's like this it's an, it's an experience that is it's it's very like like they say we're we're spiritual beings having a human experience right so I go back and forth between thinking that, yeah, we're this like divine creature that is like disguised as a monkey. <laughs> and then the other side of me says like, no, dude, you are just a monkey. Like you are just of this earth and it's all just matter and material. But then I'm like, no, dude, like there's, there is magic in this world. There is more than meets the eye. And being a human is a lot more than meets the eye. And reading the law of one and uh, having these kind of conversations really helps my mind conceptualize and think about and to, to to think that yeah there is more going on and being a human is this very divine once in a lifetime once in a incarnation once in a universe experience and uh yeah i don't think it ever ends man i don't think it ends <laughs> it just keeps going no. yeah there's different hey, energies yeah. different vibrations different experiences uh but then it, to me then that's when you get into Buddhism and you get into Hinduism and Buddhism says, well, it does end if you, you know, become enlightened and you follow the eightfold path. If you want to escape this cycle of suffering and samsara, you, you know, you essentially in this life or the next, you follow the eightfold path and you become like the Buddha because the Buddha is the one who escaped the never endingness because they say suffering is inherent to this the human condition, I don't know about all the conditions, but at least in the human condition, you're going to keep coming back until you, you become enlightened and you, you reach nirvana through these certain paths that the Buddha outlined for us. And uh, so, because yeah. I subscribe to that idea too. I subscribe to Buddhism where it says there is an end if you just dedicate yourself to this certain lifestyle. But then I also think, well, I don't think there actually isn't like an end. I don't think nirvana means end. I think nirvana is something that goes beyond words it's like you, you you form into the god essentially i don't know i went off on a tirade on that one did, did you get any oh, of that I like it. <laughs> yeah um yeah and i um you reminded me of something else for the about the law of one with that um but uh yeah i, I lost it <laughs> <laughs> but my apologies i mean the the law of one is i i have to read more about it but uh it's just like a i don't know man it just seems more than just like a story and like j just us explaining and having this conversation of like yeah we, there's first density being things that that's just energy second density where it's it's energy that are is animals and can make decisions in this third density which has like kind of dominion over the earth. It seems simple. And it seems like an evolution, not of life, but an evolution of consciousness. And getting back, way back to what we were talking about, about the, the thought war that they had in this mm -hmm. other world. Uh, it seems like if, if we are essentially what we are is just consciousness moving through different densities. It doesn't seem too far-fetched that there can be a thought war. <laughs> like right. it doesn't really make sense but if we are just uh, what this band bands of consciousness moving through these densities in these in these uh these shells in these in these uh things that hold consciousness 
then yeah, I guess in the fourth and fifth, where we're not confined to these bodies, there can be these worlds completely made up of ideas. And these ideas, I don't know how it works. They must just be able to like create upon conceptualization. And it must just be like a, 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 I can't, I don't know. I just, it's just like a conceptual battle. Like it might, it, it might not be real. It might just be like concepts that are just panning out in other dimensions and it's reflected on the world. It's, it's, I can't even conceptualize it to be honest with you, but it is, I can kind of see how that works and how, this is how I think of ideas. And a lot of people also subscribe to this idea that ideas, we are conduits to ideas. So we, you know, being on the third density, we're, we're able to, to pick up on these ideas. Like where, you know, the idea for me to do this podcast or someone to make a movie or a symphony or to paint a picture, like where, where are those coming from? And why are they put into people's heads? They have to be, they have to be coming from the same place that this war took place at, it, or potentially. Not, I'm not saying 100, percent but it seems like it's like these ideas almost have like a mind of their own. And there could be times where you're you're opening up to these things, and but they're just flying through almost like hyperspace, and you're just like you're the one that receives them. So maybe these. This is so far out, man. Maybe these like ideas are like on this planet and they're just in the way they're conduits, like the way that they're received and transmitted is also on this planet, but we just can't really see it. Like there's no humans. So we're not like, we don't have guns because essentially a war is like a physical war that we have is also a war of ideas. But then it pans out yeah. physically on this density with guns and tanks and missiles. But maybe on that other planet is a war of ideas and we just can't see, physically see, or that the, the, the person who was channeling couldn't physically see or just pick up like how it panned out on that density. But like essentially everything is a war of ideas, like politics, this whole world, every the whole human experience is just these it's just these transmissions all coming in and, you know, just meshing with each other and creating this, this third density physical world we live on. So maybe that's what Ra meant is it's the, it's a war as a thought war and maybe it didn't even need any receiver. Wait, what, the, you said there was objects though on the planet though, right? It was, there was like, yeah. So it had to be like that. Like there had to be just like, that's the only way that I can think of it. It's, like, it's just some kind of way that these people destroy themselves with their ideas that we can't even, we can't even like put into our monkey mind. Very far well, out idea. Man. I, yeah. I think, uh, you, you brought up a lot of really cool ideas in there. Uh, I think that like, um, I think about it like this, this is the way I imagine manifesting a physical object works. And uh, um, not saying I can do it, uh, just an idea on how it would work, how one would be able to do it. And it just, it just comes from this idea of, of um, you know, when you really drill down to things in the quantum and you're looking for a particle and you're looking to try and see something, there's just never anything there. You know, there's, there's math there that describes what's happening, but 
there's no rubber ball there, there's no object there, there's no thing there. Um, what you ultimately end up with is basically a vortex in the in the energy, a little a little twist, a, a change in the density of the energy, and then that becomes the the proton, the particle. But it didn't actually come from anywhere. It's it's almost like looking at a river, and then you see a little eddy kind of you know swirl by. For a moment, there's a thing, but it's it's not a it's not a thing. It's just it's the one thing, but it just took this form. So um, if in fact uh, a particle is essentially a, a vortex of sorts happening in the plenum of, of everything, say um, outer space, whatever, if you can just go out into that intense energy. And so then um, the double slit experiment, um, we'll go into that too, you people can look it up if they want to, but the, the double slit experiment is interesting in physics as it shows how human consciousness can collapse an infinite waveform down to a singularity, basically, or down to a particle. Um, and I find that fascinating. I think that's one of the most fascinating experiments in all of science and what it can tell us about our reality. So if it's true that it's really that consciousness is the engine that takes the infinite energy of the plenum and, and spins it into finite points or things, then um, presumably you could go out into the vastness of space, look at a certain area, concentrate on it, and as if you were pulling the fabric and twisting it, you would spin that vortex and you would create a proton. And so if science has already to some extent showed us that, that we can do this, then I think that you know, you make a you make a proton, you make a couple more, you make some electrons. But you know, pretty soon you you start getting atoms. You're you're building atoms, molecules, stuff. You can theoretically build. Uh, you could theoretically build everything in the universe. You could build the whole universe, um, one atom, one particle at a time, doing that through um, manifestation. So the reason I just go through that thought experiment like that and understanding how it works is because um, like you were saying earlier in the realm of thought, when it's thought against thought or everything's thought, it kind of seems like there's no rules or everything is so free flowing. How would we even know how to make sense of it? Perhaps it doesn't start making sense until there's agreed upon rules or maybe you agree upon the rules even within yourself and within your own consciousness. But what I mean by that is if you imagine a rubber ball and you imagine a, a brick wall and then you imagine the rubber ball going at the brick wall, there's no reason why it can't just go right through and keep going. It's your imagination. It's a consciousness construction that you're making. But if instead you decide that not only are you going to make these two things, but also with your consciousness, you're going to make rules for the world. And one of the rules is if a rubber ball goes out a wall and it hits it, it's going to bounce and it's coming back. So not only are the objects uh, a, a function of consciousness, but so are the rules. So is the physics. So is everything. And so the logic of that little sort of anecdotal story taken to the extreme, um, as I understand it, is one way to interpret the entirety of the reality as we experience it. When people say there really aren't any things, there really isn't stuff, there aren't any solid objects, there really isn't any material, it's all consciousness. Um, that's kind of that's kind of my understanding of what that means and how it works. Mm, the all is mind. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that, that, that again, it's easy for, you know, we're, we're like, we're human centric people. We're going to be earth centric people right now. This is all natural. This is, this is our stuff. This is what we understand and we see. And so when you do that, it's, it's easy to perceive, at least I thought this for a long time. I thought that if there are non-physical realms out there, other dimensions or things like that, those things seem to me that they would be subtler, so to speak, or um, with less material, they would be easier to influence, for lack of a better term. But basically what I'm saying is if I, I thought that if there were non-physical dimensions, we were the leaders. First, what happens in the physical matters. What happens in the material realm? We are the ones that vibrate and shake the realms. And that vibration is going to reverberate through whatever worlds are out there. And they will make do with those vibrations that we create in the universe that we dictate. But over time, I've come to see it very differently. I very much believe that we are the reflection. We are the end of it. So we are seeing the 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 low and of the vibration where things slow down so um in that way of thinking it would be something to the effect that in the fastest highest vibration when um you exist without material at all and it is just uh pure consciousness engaging with consciousness and thought forms uh, all over this would be the fastest moving realm to experience free flowing and it would be instantaneous manifestation and um, perhaps overwhelmingly chaotic for our consciousnesses as they are now in evolution and that's why we're not there but um, once you get there you know how to be there you know how to work that fast your mind you've evolved to that point but from there you start to uh I believe, and this is just a, a mental model way of thinking about it, but from the highest speed being consciousness, the next highest speed would be light. And so as thought forms slow down to a certain extent, as they get into the realm of vibration that is slow enough for light, then you have things rendering there in these than a realm of light. Maybe you could think of it as like the astral or something like that. This might be the place where these thought forms might be playing out like this from the pure consciousness place playing out in light. And, um, and then that vibration of light, let's say the astral or something like that, that slows down further. And once it slows down enough, it can collect material, so to speak. It's vibrating slow enough to get sticky. And then all of a sudden the material is clinging to it. And now we have material forms and we're all in material form here living this and experiencing mm. it so um i kind of I, I like that idea i think that's an interesting theory a different framing of it because it does explain to me why um you know when people talk about the astral and they talk about paranormal experiences and high strangest there, there's all these other types of beings all these other types of creatures animals and so there's all this stuff that we don't have and uh, it just makes me wonder if this is all real. Um, it's that that would just be because um, these things. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you would think of them as ascended in some form or something. But they're just like they're they're too fast. They're just whatever it is. Their vibration is is so fast that it is um, 
uh, at most light, if not just consciousness or thought, and only if they are resonating at the slow enough speed to uh, collect a material or render in material, that's when we, we see what. So we get the end of the line. We get the scraps. So they have way more stuff. Each yeah. one has more stuff than the next, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's the way I see it. Mm. It is a very logical way to look at it. I mean, you had a lot of good points in there, man. I wish I could have touched upon a lot of those. But yeah, your ending point, I mean, it makes sense. I think sometimes that's how ghosts are. Like they just somehow just coming to our reality for a little bit, but they're still in that other astral realm. I mean, I don't know much about ghosts and I don't really know what to think about them. But there, I mean, there's way too many stories mm. of ghosts for them to be not a thing. Like, and just people imagining them. And that there has to be something else. Like, I don't know if it's like people trapped. Like, I don't know if like somebody's like consciousness is somehow like trapped in this third density and like can't get onto the other side or something like that. But yeah, it makes sense how you know because we can think about when we think about second density, like in animals, and we can we can we can kind of act like an animal a little bit and be like an animal um but they'll never be like a human being they're not you know dogs aren't going to be building their own cities and get up to our density so to us a dog is so primitive and to these higher beings we must look so primitive we must just be like oh look at those people they think they have free will because what you just explained to me it makes it seem like we don't have free will even though like i feel like i do and like i think i can make decisions but if there are, are these other things and beings that are just sending their energy through this lower density and it's, we're pretty much um, controlled by light in a way in, in the greatest way to look at it. Uh, it doesn't seem like I have the will to change anything. If there's just, if I'm just this third density object of a human being, which is nothing wrong with that. That's just part of the order, but it doesn't seem like the order has free will. It seems like I'm being, shoot one way or the other through ideas you know through these the, going back to the the idea idea where seems like ideas and thoughts are what are, are are shifting me to take certain actions and i perceive them as free will and it might just be like an illusion of free will but when we outline it like this it just seems like no there, there's just so much more advanced uh the uh, energy forms that are existing at the same time you are and they're they're uh controlling your reality like we control like a cow's reality ready to be harvested essentially and slaughtered <laughs> you know there could be other beings that are doing the same for us and just as we look at cows they look at us like the cows or the pigs or the chickens that we raise and use them to harvest our energy and they may be harvesting you know humans energy who knows I think it's the best analogy, or at least a good analogy, thinking about it like our relationship with um, animals. Uh, and so I said that earlier, I do frame it like that, I think about it that way. But I do also believe that if, in, in point of fact, it probably, the relationship is probably shaped in a way that's a little bit harder for us to contextualize once you're in, in the aspect of two two which are both sentient both self-aware stuff like that but one being higher than the other i think it works a little bit differently but you did remind me 
of what I had forgotten about earlier, um, but I was going to mention with this idea of free will. And because we were talking about, you know, Buddhism having an ending. Yeah. And I was just in my in my mind, I was just thinking about how that correlated with the free the, with, with the law of one. And the first thing I thought of was free will, because, in fact, um, woven all through uh, all through the law of one is like free will is how it's how free will is like such a cosmic law, like the most important cosmic law. And it's interesting because. Uh, so then I was thinking about that with the, the Buddha idea, because I thought the one the one way I would think in which a being could dissolve into the nothing and never return, never even be a soul after that point, um, I, I would think that it maybe it's possible by way of free will. If ultimately, once mm -hmm. one gets to that level of cognition, that they could willfully decide to do that, I, mm -hmm. I guess that you would be able to, because of how honored free will is, but um, yeah, and the law of one, it's, uh, um, it's, it goes into great, great detail about free will and how important it is. And it does explain also why, uh, like we were talking earlier about the, the, the reptilian overlords idea and that, you know, these higher density beings are pulling these strings and stuff, but yet, uh, people say, why don't they just, where are the motherships? Just come down here. You know, they could obliterate our, our military in seconds and whatever. It's like they would win instantly. Mm -hmm. But, um, but the fight isn't about material. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be about that. That wouldn't be the interest. The fight is about the journey through the densities. According to law of one, it's a journey through the densities, whether you are negative or positive, polarity. You can graduate from the third density negative. There's fourth density negative. It goes up until the sixth where they unify. But um, if you if you think about it, uh, if you think about it in, in those terms, then you have both of these densities uh, kind of having their battle, whether it's a war or a sporting interest kind of battle, regardless, they're fighting for the consciousness of the third density. And we, we are the resource, but we're not a meat resource. We're not a food resource. We're not a land or a water resource. We are a consciousness resource. And so, you know, and when you think about those things, it, it does make sense because like right there, if you're wondering if one says, well, I guess if there's ETs visiting us, but wouldn't they just come here, annihilate and take everything? Well, no, no they, they won't because they don't care about the material. They care about the consciousness. And so when we are, when using the laws of free will, and it's not that, it's not as if they're never violated, they're violated a lot. It's just that there's a price to pay if they're violated. So that is always kept in, in uh, but, but the, the long and short of it is if you were negative, let's say, and you just came in and you just physically just dominated a third density planet, a civilization, you might get yourself some slave workers and stuff like that, but you would have very much damaged your polarity, even if it was negative polarity, because rather than draw from these people and pull them willfully under your thumb, drag or convince them, persuade them, deceive them even, but get them to willfully come under your control, 
then you are drawing the consciousness. You are drawing power. You are progressing on your own path. When you dominate and you create resistance and you enslave, um, that is actually drawing away from your um, your polarity. So uh, this this is why the game isn't played this way, and that's why we don't see it rendering in a physical sense like that. Mm. So our so we're here to play the game as well, right? To be to affect our own polarity and to ascend to a higher density. That's right. Yeah, um, I I kind of get the sense that the third density is is uh, uh, is kind of like Grand Central Station, and that you you know you look through the station and you could ask you know um, why are these people here? It's like there's that's not you can't answer that. And for every person who's there, there's a different reason why they're there, and some of them have very joyful reasons. Some of them have. Um, perhaps sad reasons, some of them are, you know, having fun, working, whatever. I'll, I think that the third density works that way as well, and that there are people here with all manner of agendas and all kinds of things that, that they're doing. I think that what the third density offers is um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like a video game, you know, rather than us just having a discussion where you imagine what your character could do and I could imagine what mine could do and we could say, what if this happens? And then we could try to agree on who won the game, I guess. Yeah. Instead, we could say, well, let's bake this. Let's bake this into some form that will be almost like a third party independent thing because it will have rules. Then once we're competing within those rules, then um, it's a it's a fair playing field for us both and there could be a real winner. Uh, there, there are things like that. I believe the third density is is probably used for sporting interests between soul families that want to come down here and like, you know, you could. It's kind of like LARPing. You could come down here to make it like an RPG. You could come down here and work on your stuff. You could be a wanderer and come down and help people. You can progress negative. You can progress positive. Um, but I think that when you, if you, if you have a question about something that's an unknown. Um, or even if it's a known, even if it's science, or even if it's a political debate, you might notice that when you go online or you discuss with enough people or you try to get at what the right answer is, it seems often elusive and maybe frustrating in that it's it would seem, it might seem that both sides of almost any point, both versions of any story, both sides you can make about any fact, that happened, historical event, person, whatever it is, it would seem it's available to you um, suspiciously, almost in equal measure, to believe one aspect of it one way or to believe the other. And I think that equal measure aspect of it is, is an important aspect of how I understand the third density to work. Um, and for what it's worth in the law of one, they talk about these portals of opportunity opening up, portals that open up for the negative polarity to come down and influence us in the third density. And then portals will open up for, and I don't know that these are sci-fi dimensional portal things. I just mean windows of opportunity. The negative gets windows of opportunity, they come down and influence. The positive gets them, they come down and influence. And when you kind of really drill down into like, well, what is these portals of opportunity? What creates them? And it's essentially 
it's it's in order to keep balance to the third density as a realm. It's it's not it, if if we had the answers, if we knew what the answers were, this wouldn't be the third density anymore. That's not what it's for. When you have the answers, then you that, that's fourth density, and then you start doing fourth density work. But here in the third density, it's only third density so long as the duality is fully bolstered, fully supported, and absolutely equal measure mm. of everything is constantly raining down on us, constantly asking us to, to start to practice and exercise discernment. And because if information supports both sides, you could make a case that it would seem nothing is knowable. So how do we really know anything other than coming to our own conclusions by way of discernment and building our own reality? I think there is a unique reality for every entity that exists, at least subtly so. So we're all building them with our discernment. We're all choosing our truths. We were talking earlier about open-mindedness, and I think that that is such a critical, absolutely critical part of it to um, to have an open mind and then exercise your discernment upon those things. If you are simply closed-minded and something's just woo-woo and you just close it off and don't think about it, that's not discernment. That's that's just closed-mindedness. So I think you know it's it's a win if people assess something fully and then still decide that they enjoy the third density view or it's too woo-woo or they don't like it. I think I think it's still you're the better for it for doing the the mental process of open-mindedly thinking it through mm -hmm. and um and so you know if this in fact according to as the law of one says if this is the density of choice and that is the point and that is like um what we are supposed to be doing here uh at least insofar as we're not tourists or any of these other things if we are if we are um infinite eternal beings here and physical form, temporary human experience, like you said earlier. So if that's, if that's what we're doing and our goal is to progress and find our way out of whatever this maze is, then yeah, if it's, uh, if it's pursuing the goal, then the way to practice, the, the, the way to progress is to be exercising that discernment um, to to decide how you fit into it, what what you are, what you're all about, what you hope to to be, and 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 consider that that might be not just this lifetime, but many lifetimes. And when you're actually facing that decision, and then you think, um, okay, I think I know what the it, it's it the, the law of one isn't biased, and it's biased to call negative polarity positive polarity. Um, the negative manifests in a lot of ways that we don't like when we look at it. So it's, it's the negative polarity. But really, in law of one terms, as far as the universe is concerned, this grand machine churning in motion, it's, it is coolly indifferent to the choice of negative or positive polarity. Both are needed in order to keep the machine um, running and active and vibrant. So, um, so it's really... Uh, it's it's easy to be biased and say oh oh you know negative polarity or the service to suffers or whatever um, it does it does render in some ways some weird ways or whatever but the important thing is to 
realize that that is a third density perspective on it. That's part of our experience, which is very short. Um, the physical part, uh, according to the law of one, much, much, much more of our existence happens after third density uh, in physical and non-physical forms. So hard to know what that whole pathway looks like, um, but we can always change our minds even after this density, where, wherever, whenever we are, we can switch sides and see what the other has to offer. But um, certainly to progress past the third, as far as the law of one is concerned, we have to use our discernment. Uh, we have to use our discernment to conclude first that there is something more than this. And then once concluding that there is, then deciding which pathway we like better. And then once we've decided that, we can begin to pursue it. Mm. And then we move up in densities. That's right. So then, you know, um, so, so then you would be working your way through uh, the fourth density of consciousness in the same way you're now working your way through the third. And you would be doing that. Uh, but, but you would be doing that as you would be doing that as a positive polarity or a negative uh, polarity. Whereas here, that's not the case. We're figuring out which of those things we are. Mm. These concepts are so abstract, man. They are just amazing thought experiments that we can do. And it's just, uh, it makes sense. You know, when you have somebody else to bounce the ideas off of and I can ask you questions, it makes a lot of sense to me. And hopefully it makes sense to anybody listening. This doesn't just sound like some crazy ramblings of some uh, <laughs> some crazy, I don't even know. But yeah, man, I, uh, these thoughts and these, 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 uh, you know, these games or thought games that we play and these ideas that we like to entertain ultimately leave me not fearing dying because I mean, not, not the act, like the actual physical act of dying sucks. Like the pain, you know, getting old, but like the actual concept of non-existence to me it doesn't seem to even make sense when you like when you can entertain ideas like this it brings me to some kind of semblance of peace i know it doesn't seem peaceful <laughs> because it seems like there's just so much going on that we can never even come to a conclusion of but to me that is actually peace like to know that like this isn't it like to know that like uh you know our suffering isn't forever and that like we go on to be whatever like these these crazier higher beings if we discern to if we want to and i want to so i'd hope to <laughs> adjust my density to to further experience what this universe is in this this like i said before the truth is stranger than fiction and it seems to be man it seems to be like Dying isn't really anything to be feared. And essentially, if you live a good life, you are just going to ascend into this higher spiritual uh, consciousness, I guess, in a way. And uh, yeah, it really, it, that's, that's why I have these conversations with people. So I can not, not fear dying. It's just like I can come to some kind of, it's almost like a way of dealing with being human. To know that, like, yes, there is more than just the politics and, you know, bills and all the, the pain that we go through, physical and emotional, being human. Because it's tough to be human, you know, life is suffering, as they say in Buddhism. 
and entertaining these concepts to me, it's kind of, it's like, well, you know what? There's way more than, than meets the eye. There's way more than your pain. And, you know, I, I, I know this sounds depressing, but like, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that there's way more than what it is to be in this meat suit. And um, mm. I firmly believe there is. I don't think we'll ever really f- be able to explain it, but it's cool to have these conversations and actually come to some kind of idea of what might be going on. And uh, yeah, it's comforting to me to to know that there's something else going on. There's got to be, dude. If you don't think there's anything else going on, it's just like the material world and this is it. And then after you die, it's just the void and blackness. I don't, something about that just doesn't, it doesn't sit right. Like, it just seems like, nah, man, like this is life. This is the experience of, this is the, the felt present, the felt experience of the present moment. Like, it's just a beautiful, beautiful concept. And that is divine in itself. And to know that like this, in this current moment, there's behind the scenes, there's just so much more going on to me. That's cool. I just like that. I like that idea. So, you know, that there's, we are spiritual beings having this human experience for a very short and temporary amount of time. For what reason? To grow, maybe to, to educate ourselves, to have fun. I don't know what the, the actual reason is. Like you said before, it might just be everybody has their own reason coming into this density. And that's cool too. That brings me to some kind of peace that it's, uh, it's, it's all, it's all temporary. And that temporary, uh, that impermanence is, it's, it's good, you know, to me, it's, 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 a, it's something that helps us be better people, whatever you, on whatever your polarity that you're fighting for here. Uh, I think we can come to the conclusion that, you know, this impermanence of the human experience is, is, uh, is a blessing in a way to me. I think it actually is a, it's a, it's an, I like being human. I wouldn't want to be human forever. <laughs> I think uh, it's, yeah. it's cool to know that what's coming after this, or not even just know to entertain that what's coming after this is something that I can't even fathom the beauty of it, the the, the immensity, the infinity of it. It's just something. It's almost like it's like oh man, it's like here we go. Like I, this is just like the training grounds to to moving up. It's yeah. cool, man. It's cool. Yeah. Um, well, that was uh, really beautifully put, Gary. I love that. And um, I, I feel as you do. I feel like there is a peace that comes with it. I think mm-hmm. a, really, a really beautiful one that comes with, like, um, it's one thing to consider these ideas, you know, do we reincarnate? Um, I think, you know, we're both born or we're all born behind this veil, and we live an existence in which we are finite, mortal, vulnerable, material, and imperfect. And, um, and I think that's, that's a feature. That's by design. We believe that. That's the illusion. That's the roller coaster we signed on to experience. But um, if there is love in your person, uh, true, true, unconditional love, then um, this realm cannot last forever for you because that love is going to lead to the loss that comes with 
mortality and vulnerability. And you're going to see that over and over and over again. You're going to experience it over and over and over again, this pain, what the law of one calls catalyst. And this will just keep coming at you until that moment, however long it takes you, a million years of incarnating over and over again in the third density, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's your journey. But eventually, eventually it will, there will be a moment where you will just stop and you will say, this cannot be right. This cannot be the purpose to experience this pain and this and, and expend this energy for the return. It's just like the, the third density simply does not work as the be all and end all of the game, especially if there is love within you as a person. It's, mm. it's made to not reconcile that way. We're supposed to find a problem with it and we're supposed to keep hammering on any crack we can find in the fabric of it until we see uh, what is on the other side and experience a moment of revelation that in fact, all that time, all of that existence as a uh, finite, mortal, vulnerable, material, imperfect being was wrong. It was all mm. false. It was all an illusion. In fact, uh, you are, I am, we all are uh, finite, immortal, invulnerable, luminous, and perfect. And it's, uh, it's I, I feel like there's a tremendous amount of peace that comes with really integrating that and walking around in, in a world in which you believe that to be true, of course, experiencing death is far easier, material death, when you encounter it, it's far, far easier that way. And, and experiencing hardship is far, far easier when you're, um, you're part of a, a, a grander plan and time takes on a different meaning in the, through the lens of our, our eternal nature. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think all of those things are miraculous. I think they're all huge. I think they're the reasons we all seek and that you're doing this. And I'm so stoked that you've got the consciousness perspective and you're contributing to this conversation and I'm doing the same thing as a bunch of us doing it. It's really inspiring uh, to see this all happen. I think that's that's the, the percolation, the beginnings of the, first den the, the fourth density and what it looks like as it manifests more and more here on this planet. Um, but uh, yeah, I find uh, I find great peace in it. But I also I also know that um, there is an aspect of being infinite and immortal and vulnerable, luminous, perfect. Any any of those things, even one at a time, that is really taken to heart, also has a size, uh, a revelation size of such magnitude that it can be really scary no matter how mm -hmm. big it, no matter how good it is it's big it's really big especially if you if you've been knee deep in the third density for decades you know so um it's fun watching it all play out i love trying to just unpack these mysteries wherever i find them and see how they all stitch together yeah same with me man it's it's and i i think it's a mystery that never ends it's just the the giant mystery of life that has all these little mysteries just leading up to the the giant mystery and it never ends because one mystery just leads to two other mysteries and yep. just keep and it just keeps going okay. it's just a rabbit hole this this entire universe is just one rabbit hole and the and uh the internet makes it 
a lot easier to go down those rabbit holes, that's for sure. Sure does. But it's fun <laughs> to entertain, and it brings us yeah. peace. And I like what you said, man. It, it, um, as long as you have the, the love in your heart, it sounds corny, it sounds cliche, but it's really <laughs> right. that simple, man. It's all about love. It's if you have that genuine love, not the fake love, you know, not the stuff you, know, you see in the movies, even though that can be real love, but like the real compassionate, um, just seeing somebody else as yourself, seeing somebody else as another conscious being, um, selflessness, just that, that just the, the aspect of just respect, respecting another person. That's, I think the first the golden to, rule. That's the, exactly. That's the, yeah. the law of, of life, man. It's, it's the first step to us moving toward that that fourth density planet it's that's like you said before that's what jesus was once we we all recognize that love is the way okay y'all the hippies were right that they they told us 50 years ago <laughs> 60 years ago that uh -huh. you know it's all about love and we're just you know it's true it's still the same thing it's all about love and and you know it love comes in all various shapes and sizes but the the whole premise is just selflessness we all just need to think about ourselves a little less and think about and see others as ourselves, And that's how we create this fourth density, better world that we are hopefully, ideally moving into. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Just kind of going through a rough patch. It takes a little bit of time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I think we can probably wrap this thing up on that note. Uh, if you have anything else that you'd like to plug or say before we wrap it up, uh, let it loose. Um, well, I would just like to thank you again, Gary, for having me on. If people want to um, check out my channel, Planet Oz, it's uh, I've got I've got a bunch of different formats on there a bunch of different films different topics i like to like just it's just a big it's a big pool of stepping stones you can non-linearly hop around all whatever interests you and fascinates you that's how my mind works and how i've <laughs> puzzled my way through the world so that's what i've recreated at uh planet oz so um, yeah whatever rabbit hole you want to go down mm -hmm. planet oz yeah um i can see that's you right creating a sci-fi movie in the future has that ever been in, in in your your thought process like i can see you creating some i mean i don't want to say like you're in the next george lucas but like something along the lines of like yeah. star wars because you have these concepts in your mind and if you're a movie creator if you're a filmmaker then you, you can incorporate those concepts into some kind of that universe that we talked about before too and making it all make sense that'd be awesome man yeah, I have definitely taken steps to do that. I've certainly written sci-fi screenplays for movies, and uh, I, I live in Los Angeles currently. When I came out here, uh, it was with the filmmaker's intention to make narrative and, and make movies and things like that. But um, yeah, I ended up uh, career-wise, I've done uh, tons of short-form stuff that's been released on the internet, and two featured documentaries, uh, which have been great experiences, um, amazing. But uh, yeah, you know, getting, getting a break, getting a, getting a foot in the door and actually getting an opportunity to make a feature length narrative film, especially if you like science fiction and you write things in an expensive way as I have a tendency to do. It's, uh, it's tough to make that 
happen. So you're spot on in terms of my efforts and my interests. But um, yeah, tough, tough nut to crack. I'll keep at it. it. We'll see Mm -hmm. someday. (laughs) Yeah, just say you can manifest it, right? You can if you really want to, I guess, if you really try hard enough or you think about it enough or may the world may and the universe may uh, move in your favor, man. Yeah. And if it does, I'll watch it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I like flowing with the universe, too. So it's like, you know, how I ended up here talking to you is a strange story with strange turns in its own right. So, you know, I don't uh, I don't balk at not having anything or any opportunities that didn't pan out. I believe these are all with reason. And uh, um, and there's a piece that comes with that, too. Just Mm -hmm. keep, you know, whether it's career or otherwise. I know we got a lot of things that want us to worry about them, so it's hard. But uh, I don't know. It's just, it's like you were saying earlier, it kind of makes me wonder if I have any free will. Do I really have any free will? I don't when know. It's it's like... but, you know, again, but again, is that a bug or a feature? Because when it comes to anxiety and worrying about things, isn't that a great time to think, well, you know what? I actually don't have any control over what Yeah, happens. Yeah, I don't know. That's, a, that's a whole that's a topic for a whole another video, man. That's I go back and forth. I don't know, but yeah, let's, uh, other than that, planet Oz, man, thank you for coming on. This was a great conversation. And uh, if you ever want to come back on, let me know. Absolutely. All right, bro. Well, uh, signing out. Peace. Planet Oz signing off. Take care, Gary. Thanks. Bye.